And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Claire Matira, who is currently with us from Peru, next to the Amazon River. At age 14, she was contacted by a being from Lemuria, which eventually caused her to open a vortex to where souls were trapped. Much later, after being freed, these souls paid her a visit, which she has a photograph of, which we'll see today, and more. Claire, thank you for joining us, and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. I'm delighted. So let's start at age 14 and tell us first about how this being contacted you. Yeah, it was a, a funny time. Um, I was the oldest of seven, so life was really extremely busy. And um, I went through this uh, a time which is almost a bit like a nervous breakdown. At least that's what the doctor said later on. And, and I was given a sleeping cure after that. Uh, it's very strange. But um, I, I woke up one day. Uh, there's a, yeah, I woke up one day and there was like something was sitting on my chest and I could hardly breathe. And so I freaked out. It was in the morning and um, my parents eventually got the doctor who gave me this sleeping cure. Well, I was sort of out of, um, not very conscious for about two weeks. Yeah. And then after that, I was given some time to go to my grandmother, um, which was uh, really nice for me. I went there, but she also had a big garden and a beautiful house and she had um, a lot of books about spirituality and about art. And uh, I started, oh, I was always very interested in drawing. So I made this drawing of uh, the Burgers of Kale. You can see that drawing there, which is a very sad drawing of a man who, um, who is almost starving and he, he lost the war. They lost the war from uh, France, lost the war to England. And, uh, and they came and... Um, and the people had starved themselves because they were in a big siege. And then a little bit later, I was given this, channeled this drawing. So I did that when I was four, 14. Sorry, the wind is blowing it a little bit. <laughs> so that's, that's the drawing uh, that I made after that. And I was told that these two were relating to each other. And um, that, that was, um, I, at the time, I didn't know it was from Lemuria. I didn't know at all what it was. Um, but that spirit started talking to me on a regular basis when I went to bed or something. And I would talk to him and he would talk to me and uh, make me feel good. And um, then after a while, it just went away and I kind of got old enough to get on with my normal life and have my children. Let me stop you for one moment. Yeah? So you're sure. saying that the picture of the one on the bottom half of the page that kind of looks like an American Indian, that is yes. the being from Lemuria. Yes, that's what I decided after a while because I, well, at that time I didn't know it was from Lemuria, of course. Mm -hmm. And so yes. he contacted you. What did he tell yeah. you? Well, he told me that they had been through a war and that it was uh, very difficult and um, uh, not much more at the time because he kept saying that he was the same as those burgers of Calais, which was the picture that I showed you before. Did he tell you why he was contacting you? Well, at 14, I didn't really um, understand any of it. I was just kind of like um, wondering what, you know, becoming a woman, and I didn't really know anything very much. It was a very busy life with seven children. We were all born within 11 years, so there was always so much to do. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I had to go to school a lot and, and bicycle a lot to go to school. So the days were really full. 
I have big interest in art. And uh, when I, uh, I was, when I had this experience, I was given, I took off about six months of school or something like that. So I missed a whole year. So how did your life change after pretty, that? Yeah, it was pretty impactful. And then after that, I started drawing spirits. I actually have other drawings of spirits, but they were not that one. That one was the one that was uh, seemed to be most important. And my mother kept it somehow. And I found the drawing about 40 years later, hmm. close to 40 years later. So that one event happened. And then I'm assuming that your, your life went back to kind of a normal life. Yeah, then, more or less, yeah. And then what was your next spiritual event that happened? Um, well, the next one was that I found out about my master, Mehababa, which was a very powerful experience for me. Um, and that had to do with, um, at that time I was at the art school in, in Australia, so I had moved from Holland to Australia. And, um, and there I was uh, with a group of people that were using marijuana and different things, you know, and so... Then when I found out about my master, I stopped doing all that. So I didn't have any more, um, nothing of any description, no more drugs, nothing. Can you tell us a little bit about who Meher Baba is? Meher Baba was born in um, 1894, I think. And he was um, lived in India. I, don't, I just want to get the drawing out because I, we did this work. We pulled all the drawings out here, here. So Mehababa is a, a spiritual master. Um, so we're having problems with the wind here. I'm really sorry about that. No, it's fine. The man, the man has actually stopped talking. So yeah, this is the, the drawing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I was posted to you in an email, actually. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, Mehababa lived in India. He traveled around also. He was silent for um, about 44 years. Um, there's a big story about it online, Meher Baba. So that's online, and you can find out about it. He has quite a few followers. And um, he said that uh, the, the one word of God, the one ancient one, had incarnated again and again, like he was um, uh, Zoroaster, Krishna, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, and now he was Meher Baba. That was his claim. And of course, I was brought up a Roman Catholic, so I was very um, stuck with Jesus. My grandmother had a very strong Catholic feeling, and I loved her, and I spent a lot of time with her when I could. And uh, so I started making drawings of Jesus. I found it very difficult to make pictures of Jesus because I didn't have a good photo of it. <laughs> and uh, I worked with the Shroud sometime later. But um, uh, yeah, I made a YouTube story about that, about Jesus and Mehababa. And um, at the time, I felt that um, Mehababa was a strong uh, energy for me. I kind of felt I recognized him as being one of the masters. So um, he sort of gave me a really powerful dream where um, he landed in my heart and, uh, and I was completely winded and I couldn't breathe anymore for about five minutes. So I thought I was going to die. So that was, um, yeah, this, he, he took my hands uh, in the dream and threw me up in the air, and I, um, and it, well, when he took my hands, he said, I'm going to turn your life inside out and upside down, and then he threw me up in the air, and I somersaulted, and I fell on my back, and then he came after me, because he still held my hands, and it fell in my heart, and he came in my heart so, so powerfully that I couldn't breathe for about five minutes, I woke up, <laughs> like that, I couldn't breathe, and then, uh, 
I thought, wow, that was a powerful dream. <laughs> Much more powerful than normal dreams. And uh, then after that, I felt that he had come in my heart, but I had to kind of make my mind um, check, him, check him out completely. I had already read the Bible a little bit, and I studied the Bible again. And I also um, read his books. Uh, so I spent a few years completely studying it so that I would satisfy my mind that I wasn't off on some crazy track. And Baba's been with me all that time, so it's now nearly... Uh, nearly 50 years that I've been with Mahababa. But it you, hasn't taken away Jesus from me. From what I understood, Mahababa is the reincarnation of Jesus, right? In some way, yes. Uh, like another manifestation of that same uh, divine soul. Do you feel that dream with Mahababa was an actual visitation or just a dream? It had to be a visitation. I wouldn't have had I wouldn't have had that impact of not being able to breathe for for five minutes. It was uh, quite a shocker. And he's been visiting with you ever since in dreams. Yeah, he's been there, um, and I have been having on and off dreams, but not. Um, I've just tried to ask him to be my guide, and I uh, followed his guidance, and it's always worked out pretty good. Like he's taken me through many uh, really unusual situations without any trouble um, and I've been here I had to I had to live here without a pension and without any help I've had some friends who have given me a bit of support really lots of thanks to them um, but uh, in general Baba's made it possible for me to always have some work always have some money to be able to help people here so I've helped a lot of people with uh, ayahuasca work, which I've done for the last 16 years, and uh, and also with um, card readings, um, helping them to um, break free from their ch shackles, from their problems from the past. Let's fast forward your life now to the point where you opened up this vortex. Yeah, I was still in Australia, and it, um, the spirit started visiting me again, that spirit of Akohim uh, Nohastek, the uh, Indian thought. And he, um, yeah, I made, I made another drawing of him, which um, was more recent, like I made that at the time that I was in Australia. So here is a drawing of him, and that is also the man that he walked into. That he walked into a man in Peru. So um, that was what I was told. I was told that he would um, help me. I had to help him to free the spirits. He came back to me very strongly, and I started writing diary at the time. And uh, in the diary, I started to write with my left hand and my right hand. And so my right, uh, right hand was doing the left brain and the right hand was doing, the left hand was doing the right brain. So I was answering questions and he was answering with the left hand. So it was more intuitive. And uh, he was telling me that he, they had been in this war and that he was the same one that had come to me at 14 years old and that, um, he was wanting me to clear this vortex of the spirits that they had all been trapped in, and it was partly his fault. Um, and he felt very sorry about it, and he wanted me to do that job. So I didn't know how to do it, and I was told that I, I would be taken out to the vortex, and I asked for Archangel Michael to help me. And so um, after a while of preparing all this with all signs, oh yeah, a very important thing that happened was that I made... I had painted a, a landscape, and um, 
that landscape, I didn't know where it was, but then I was shown uh, through him where it was on the map. And then I, I entered those points into the uh, satellite maps, uh, called up satellite maps. This was about 20 years ago, almost. Um, and uh, then in the satellite maps that I had entered into, um, came up five photos. And five of, one of them was what I had painted. So I knew that that was a real sign that I was not just getting uh, lots of bullshit. Like I was worried about that, you know, that I was just being taken along for a ride. But that was actually a, a tangible point where I was shown uh, a place that had actually, I had already been painting. And that place uh, was in Paraguay. And that's where I was taken in the spirit to uh, clear this vortex and take the spirits out. Can you describe what the vortex looked like? Well, I didn't really look into it. Like this is, these one here under my finger here, mm -hmm. those are the spirits that came from that vortex area to introduce me to the work I had to do. And that is Archangel Michael there. He is uh, opening up the vortex with his staff and I'm standing next to him as a very small person. And then um, he, um, Actually here, I think we're one of these is taking the spirits out and then I fall back into my body there. And this is from actually Peru, oh, that's no, from Bolivia. So um, that's Archangel Michael was with me then too. So um, I had to kind of take these spirits out and he helped me to do it. He took them all to the, to the central sun, he said, where they were going to be uh, recycled. And then uh, I fell out of that place and into my body and I was very, very sick and I went to um, uh, emergency care in the hospital in Australia. I was there for 10 days, uh, hooked up on all sorts of drips and drabs and um, that was because I had uh, all sorts of weird infections in me and I felt it had to do with that sorcery, what was put on, onto the Lemurian place where they couldn't get out. And then while I was in the hospital, they, um, I saw on the on the television that suddenly all the native people in Bolivia had voted for uh, their own native leader, which they hadn't done since the colonial um, the colonial people came over and, and took charge of Bolivia. So they started to get their own government back, uh, and most of the native people had come out to vote. And I felt that that had to do with those spirits that had come out, and they made these people vote for their own leaders. So that was very um, was very shocking to me. Like I didn't know what I was doing. Honestly, I I had no clue what was going on. But these these things were given to me, and um, reaffirming what was going on with me. Did you have any conversation with Archangel Michael? Yes, lots of Arch Archangel Michael conversations, and I made a really big picture of him too. And uh, when I did that. Um, I became very overwhelmed. It was like this golden light started bathing over me and I couldn't even stand up anymore. I was painting on a big easel, but I had to lie down on the ground. And um, his um, beautiful golden light just came washing over me. And that was in the time that I was starting to get the message that I had to go to um, Bolivia and Peru. And that was something I was pretty afraid of. I had my husband and my children living there, even though they were old now, they were getting older and uh, leaving home, but uh, it would be a human, hum, humongous change for me. Was it Archangel Michael that was telling you to move to Bolivia and Peru? 
not really. Um, Archangel Michael was sort of like protecting the whole thing. He was kind of standing by to help me to do what I was asked to do. Um, I was told that uh, I had part of my um, destiny was to do this um, and that I had to learn about shamanism um, and that I had to, I, I did a lot of looking into the I Ching to find out what was going on. And um, it kept saying that I had to help clear up um, problems with uh, drugs and uh, sorcery in South America. And that's what I ended up doing. Yes, I took several people off the drugs. And, uh, and also it was like with the changes that were going to come up on the world, where we're going from the, the dark age to the age of light, we had to get people who were helping these energies to come in and they were like a buffer so that the people who were not ready to receive all that energy, they were getting help from us. And it was a whole huge network of star seeds and people who were all moved around uh, to the different places where they had to be. Only the unfortunate thing was that the people who did this job often ended up being a bit out of their own region. So they were ended up being a bit uh, lonely but uh, always being helped by the angels, which is very amazing. Was Lemuria located in South America? Yes, definitely. I, I felt it was. I also saw a, uh, a, note, a book from Edgar Cayce uh, where he was saying that it had, first it was in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and then uh, when the waters were rising, they were going towards Australia, New Zealand, some of the islands there, um, Hawaii and different places. So it was like they're going out to all these different areas. And then um, they also went to South America. That's what I understand. Uh, because the, the drawing that I made, the painting that I made, that ended up being also a satellite photo. I can show it to you here. This is the, the painting is below. Yeah. And that is the, the satellite photo, which I adjusted to it. It has about nine points of reference where they all um, coincide. So that was in Paraguay, and it uh, seemed that that was a place also where the Lemurians were. I can't prove anything except from these drawings and pictures, coincidences. Now, if we fast forward in time again, these beings that were yes. freed from the vortex paid you a visit. Can you tell yes, us about did. that story? Yes, yes. I was, uh, I was already in South America, and uh, I had been living with a Peruvian friend, and um, he was starting to take photos, and the apparent orbs were starting to come up everywhere on our photos, just everywhere. Um, and then one morning I was woken up in 2009, uh, very early, um, and I felt that they were out there and they wanted me to come outside. And uh, I took about 100 of these photos with them. Um, see that? Is that clear enough? Yes, that's a lot of orbs. Yeah. Yeah, I took about a hundred of those photos, all with myself, but these are, some of them are better than others. So, um, yeah, and here's another one which is pretty, pretty amazing. Here, um, here is my friend who was uh, channeling the uh, Indian man for a while. And uh, here is, is a whole bunch of, oh, Dios, the wind. That's right. <laughs> We're not having an easy time. Yeah, this is the uh, a collection of orbs that were there. Yeah. Interesting how some so, of them are kind of elongated. They're not really circular. 
yeah, I don't think they're all the same type. I think that some of them were um, were spirit beings, like uh, people who had been people. And the other ones, the elongated ones with the colors on them, they I think they are nature spirits and uh, different sh shamanic spirits. So they all came like a big fashion show of spirits with colors and feathers and tails. <laughs> Could you say that they were possibly like fairies? Yeah, I think they may have been fairy-like, yes. And also, uh, some of them made me think of uh, Walt Disney stories, which, you know, they, Walt Disney's getting a bit of a bad rap at the moment, but I do think that originally these were good shamanic stories. I don't know if you can see the one down the... This one here, the one in the corner, the little tiny one. That, to me, looks like uh, Jumbo the Flying Elephant. Mm. And, um, uh, and I had several Mickey Mouse spirits which i haven't got a photo of me but they had all the round ears and they had a, a tail and that was mini mouse too it's just in, in lilac blue when you were at this massive orb party did any of them communicate with you yeah it was interesting because it's like they kind of very softly went around my cheeks and stuff and they said thank you for the work you've done to get us out and they um they said they were going to reincarnate but I didn't get any more specific messages. They were just sort of saying thank you. So where do you think you are now on your spiritual journey? Well, I feel that a lot of that work has been done. I think the, the person walked into his friend uh, and has a life on the physical life now. So he was actually um, coming to me in the form of different native guys who were um, kind of channeling him or were had a possession of him or were piggybacking on him. And then he eventually had to go into a body uh, as a walk-in, which is what he did um, uh, in 2009. But I wasn't made aware of it for a little while. And then he contacted me um, and we ended up having a long conversation. I met him in 2014. Uh, and then I felt like peace. I was like, it's done. It's done. He's on his way. I'm, I don't have to carry this anymore. It's finished. And um, from that time, I've sort of been here on my own in uh, working with um, people with traumas who come with for ayahuasca work. Um, and that's been very, very interesting. And there's a lot of stories that uh, I'm doing some writing about it. I hope that I can eventually publish it. I published the uh, Lemurian Vortex on Amazon, but um, there's a lot more writings that I have made that are not published. So it's it's been very interesting, yes. Would you classify yourself as an ayahuasca facilitator? Well, we call them ayahuasqueros. And uh, I've studied for two years with the medicine man uh, on and off. And um, a lot of it had to do with, it was interesting because I felt that once I started drinking, uh, I ended up feeling that um, I could just open a door in my past where I had already been working with this medicine. And I had already been a shaman. Uh, but I had been a man. So it was funny because sometimes people said when I was leading a ceremony that I became a man. And I did feel that myself too. But it was like it was already another life that I just clicked into. And so I didn't have to struggle. And, you know, it was a bit of a struggle anyway. You've always got to be very careful of what you're doing with people because it's very important to them. And it's uh, very profound for them. So it's a lot of responsibility. And certainly not something to just um, 
be flippant about, you know, you have to work with these plant spirits. You have to um, basically marry them, kind of like marry them. You have to be very de dedicated to them to be able to uh, work with them, with other people. And you have to have a dieta. You can't eat certain things. You have to always be in that space where you can hold it um, so that people can feel safe with, with you with the medicine. Are you able to create the medicine yourself? Yeah, we've grown it here in my garden and I had it, uh, I had it growing everywhere and I've just been cook cooking it up myself. We've been cooking it up here with my workers. I've got native workers that have been very helpful people, beautiful souls, very faithful to me. I've been very lucky with that, yes. Have you ever had a near-death experience or come out, come down there and want to have an ayahuasca ceremony with you? There, there's a lot of, um, all sorts of people, especially that I had uh, women with trauma from sexual problems that they had when they were young. So they uh, ended up getting rid of that. And um, I had several walk-ins that were lost. They didn't, didn't know what they were doing here. So it was helpful for them to, to do that. And um, yeah, a lot of people had um, abortions which were not cleared from their aura, from their psyche, so that the spirit would still be with them. And sometimes that was good and sometimes it was not good. So um, that was something that we looked at. A lot of tracking the spirit life of these people. Sometimes they had grandparents that were um, beautiful uh, guiding souls, like guardian angels, and some of, sometimes they had uh, grandparents that were trying to still control them from beyond the grave. What are some of the misconceptions that people have about ayahuasca? I think that people think that it is a, just a kind of um, a chemical medicine, um, but it's not. It's actually, for me, not anyway. Having worked with it, and I, I drank ayahuasca more than a thousand times. Uh, at the moment, I can't drink it anymore because it's sort of in my bones. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's a spirit, and you really uh, have to connect to the spirit world. Um, it's a spirit that shows you that we are all connected. That's a big message that you've probably heard from a lot of people who've taken ayahuasca, that we're all connected. Whatever we do, it has an effect. We have to be very uh, loving and careful to be able to um, go to the next level in this place. Otherwise, we're going to repeat our experiences until we learn that lesson to be uh, thoughtful and to realize that you can't just do something to somebody else and it's not going to have an effect for you. You know, it's, it's all very connected. Um, and also the plants. We are all connected to the plants. Whatever we do to Mother Nature, it has... Uh, a type of karma that we have to work through and um, I'm even I'm very sorry to see that even in Peru a lot of people are very careless about their environment they they throw a lot of rubbish everywhere um, uh, petroleum mining is there but you know you're not allowed to say anything about that which is it's okay I think it gives a lot of people work but sometimes there are big spills and it's a problem it's yeah. not a chemical right it is, it is a spirit being so you're saying that it's not a chemical, it's actually alive. Yeah, and it's a spirit that is connected to the plant, maybe not actually in the plant all the time, but you can access that plant on another level when you drink the, the medicine. And it's often um, shown as a, as a snake or, or a jaguar or different things. Sometimes I've seen it as a stick person, different 
spaces. Earlier, you mentioned we're moving from dark to light. Does that have anything to do? Does that have anything to do with Kali Yoga? Yes. Yes. The Kali Yoga is supposed to be the dark age where we were suffering for a long time. And the benefit of suffering, Mahababa explained that. He said that it's to do that people who suffer, they look for the light more intensely. So they really um, have more advantage to uh, get more towards God realization or to, to liberate themselves through suffering. Um, I think it's because when we're suffering, we, if we don't become bitter about it, we actually um, realize that this is a dream and that we have to think about how we approach it with our mind so that we don't um, get stuck in it, you know? So we start to lift ourselves to a higher level and frequency. And that's the benefit of it. So it doesn't affect us so much. If I go back for a moment to ayahuasca, what is the biggest transformation that you've ever seen in somebody? Uh, there's so many cases. I find it really hard to pin one especially, you know. Many people who have, um, had not, did not have any confidence in themselves, who, um, and many of the, especially women who had been uh, sexually abused as a child, they had to, um, they, they found it extremely difficult to have normal relationships in their present life. Um, and they found it also difficult to have confidence in themselves that they can do anything. They were very stuck in their victim thing. So the ayahuasca was helping them to throw out the trauma. So they would vomit it out or they would go to the toilet and, and throw it out, um, crying. Um, I would have to support them in that and be there like a sort of a rock in the storm uh, so that they feel safe to allow that to come out. Ayahuasca seems to gather all this stuff that is somehow being locked into our own uh, cellular system. It takes a while, like a few hours, for ayahuasca to really collect up all these, all these energies that we have stuck into our system. And then, um, then we start feeling sick and want to vomit or, or go to the toilet. And uh, then uh, after that, a great release is felt. And then people start to start to feel like, oh, now I don't have to be addicted to this because I don't have to feel so bad about my life. Or I don't have to feel that this person um, ruined my whole life. I can start moving forward for myself. So that, that has happened on a regular basis. And people have gone and opened centers after that and have uh, started yoga groups and have uh, written books. And so all sorts of things they've started doing um, which was sometimes they told me later on, you know, a couple of years later, they give me an email and say, you know, you were right. It was really great. And, I'm, and now I'm doing this and I feel so much better about my life. But, you know, when you've been feeling like a victim for 40 years, you can't just snap your fingers and, and be done with it, you know. So you'd have to start retraining your mind to be thinking more positively, to behaving more positively and to respect people around you. So you can't be in a negative space. And that is something you have to practice. So apart from the insight, ayahuasca can give the insight, but then you have to practice, you know, and that is up to you to practice it. Can you tell us about your own personal transformation after taking it over a thousand times? Well, the transformation happened before, when I was still in the early stages. Um, I had a feeling that... Um, uh, I'm just trying to remember. Yes, I was in a, in a group, um, a very large group of about 30 people. 
and they had about five different shamans and they were shipibos. Um, most of them were women, but a couple were men. And um, I was allowed to drink with them because I came in as a translator because I had to learn Spanish and English and stuff like that. So uh, I was pretty good at that. And I was coming there as a translator, but they allowed me to drink with the first session and I drank and they gave me too much ayahuasca because I'm extremely sensitive. And um, then I started to feel that I am, um, this was a transformation that I had been waiting for, for incarnations. And that, uh, you know, I started to really completely lose it. Um, I was just um, struggling. I asked someone to help me, but they said they never felt someone beat their heart so fast. And uh, they called the shaman over and they started to sing over me and hold my hands. They sang over me, and as it was going on, they had, had to change shamans. All of the shamans had to sing for me, one after the other. Um, in that time, I felt my head was taken off, and uh, I was being told that uh, there was a star that had to be lowered back into my body so I could do the work properly. Sorry. Um, and um, I could see the star, and my old self was sort of standing there saying, oh, this is such a disturbance to the group. Uh, they're going to be really mad with me. Uh, can't we stop this? And then there was another Buddha person behind that said, everything's perfect. This is just the right thing. Um, and I just was kind of had to completely surrender myself. And one of the males uh, held me in his arms while I was leaning because I was kind of like, uh, I couldn't even sit up properly. Uh, so they were holding me up. And then the women were singing, holding my hands and singing and singing. So, and that singing actually helped the energies to open up. This is like making the operation as smooth as possible. So that was how the spirit of this star being could be lowered back into my body, which I felt it was part of me, or it was like the mother of me, somehow a part of me. But my body was not ready to that kind of, to handle that kind of voltage that, that, that this person was carrying. So I had to be, it had to be inserted into me so I would learn how to handle that kind of voltage of transfer. And so that's what happened uh, over several hours. And uh, all the other people had to kind of go out and have a smoke or sit around and try and help me. Uh, it was very embarrassing. They tried to stop me and pull me out into, into the, uh, one of the cabins so they could have their own ceremony, um, the leaders of the group. But the shamans wouldn't allow it. They said, no, no, she's not allowed to go anywhere. We have to finish this. And uh, the whole group of shamans was with me to do this. So, um, and I know that if they had done that, I probably would have gone mad and that would have been the end of that. So um, they allowed me to go through this whole thing until the whole uh, fiery spirit was completely um, entered in my heart. And then uh, slowly, it was starting to close up and then they allowed me to um, rest. You know, I was getting so hot, they had to pour water over my head the whole time, so everything got extremely wet. Um, and uh, in the end, I had to um, kind of put on a sheet <laughs> and sit with the shamans. Um, they asked me to sing. They said, if you sing, it will help you to uh, integrate. So I started singing and all sorts of sounds came out of me. And uh, this is what I am. My cat is wanting to sit on my stuff. Yeah, so that my, when I was singing, it was helping me a lot to manage the energies as well. And um, 
this is what uh, happened to to finish the whole thing. In the end, there were a few men, people that were helping me. I asked them to just hold their hand over my heart area so that this could, that I felt there was like a gaping wound with uh, a fire inside it. So they closed it up. And after that, I was um, not allowed to drink with them ever, ever again. <laughs> I understand. But it wouldn't have happened again anyway. Uh, but the Shipibos loved me and they said, come back and sit in the ceremony because when you come in, the devils will go. <laughs> and uh, But I said, no, no, they don't want me there. So I'll just sit there some, a bit further away. And uh, then, then I had no smell for about nine months. Uh, it took about nine months to fully process that experience. You mentioned that you might have gone mad. And some people do have negative experiences with ayahuasca. Why is that? Yes. Well, it's because um, there is a whole process that has to be taken care of. So uh, you have to do your dieta. And you have to have a shaman who sees you all the way through. So, um, which is what they wanted to do then. Those shamans were all completely dedicated to seeing me all the way through. And which is why I became out quite normal, <laughs> more or less normal. <laughs> but I don't have any problems with craziness at all. I'm just very peaceful. And uh, I think that with some people, that is what they have to do. They have to finish their dieta. If they get upset about something and they run away, or they do something... Um, like uh, break the dieta, that is, that can have bad effects. It's like you have a, a relationship with some kind of fairy person, and uh, and then you just run away and they get mad with you. It's a very simple explanation. Let me stop you for one moment. You're you're saying if you break your dieta or theata, what is that? Well, a dieta is um, a kind of like a it's a bit of a contract with the spirit world where you're going to eat only certain things. So you kind of for two weeks before the ayahuasca and two weeks after, uh, you just stick to this dieta, which basically eliminates sugar, uh, salt, um, fried foods, um, very cold things like ice cream or ice, anything. Well, ice cream is completely out because it's very sugary and it's uh, fatty and it's also cold. So uh, gaseosa drinks, any of those things. You can't take any of it. You can't have um, pickantes or no meat. Uh, well, you can have uh, fish. You can have chicken. So white meat is okay. And um, and you just um, spend a quiet time. No drugs. No no sex. So um, it's all the time of kind of meditation and, and peaceful focusing on what you're there for to do. To do. But it's a spiritual journey. It's not just. Oh, let's do ayahuasca and have a party. You know, that's maybe some people do that, but I don't think it's very helpful. It's like it's not not having the best effect for ayahuasca. You spend so much money uh, making a trip or taking the ayahuasca ceremonies, and then you end up abusing it by doing all sorts of other wrong things. And then you know what you're doing that for. So it's like you just toss it all in the rubbish bin. Didn't you earlier show me a drawing of ayahuasca? Yes. Um, when I went through this process of the shaman spirit that asked me to, to, to clean up the vortex, um, I also started painting. Uh, first, I started painting the landscape, but then also I painted this, and I didn't know what it was. I was pretty annoyed. It's like a plant. I said, it's a plant. It has no flowers. It has no uh, fruit. I cannot not see what it is. 
It just has an eye in the middle. Uh, so I made that painting. And um, also before that, I had several times that I, I said to my friend, I'm looking for something that is sticky and bitter and I can't find it in the fridge and I can't buy it in the shop. It's a sort of a tonic and I don't know what it is. And only later on, I realized that that was ayahuasca. So ayahuasca spirit was already reaching out to me, even though I didn't know what it was and I didn't know the name of it. Uh, only when I went to South America, um, looking for these spirit contacts of my Lemurian people, I ended up uh, being um, shown and introduced to ayahuasca ceremonies. And that was the first time I heard of it. And then slowly I realized that ayahuasca had already been calling me. So I think that ayahuasca also called me to be uh, working with her here. Is there one plant called ayahuasca or is ayahuasca a combination of plants? The actual brew is a combination of plants. And I have several uh, videos on my YouTube where I explain something about ayahuasca, uh, also about cooking it. But um, I have a, a, the ayahuasca itself is actually a vine that uh, crawls up on trees and stuff. So it's um, a thing of, the, of sh shade and darkness. It, it is not really a plant that grows in full sunlight. It grows under trees in the jungle where it comes quite naturally. You can see it in the jungle here. Um, and then we mix it with chakruna. Chakruna is the one that actually gives you the visions. It gives the brightness. It stimulates the third eye. Um, and, and chakruna, I think, gets boiled up into DMT, which people smoke or something like that, which I've never done because I think that um, it's nicer to have worked just with the plants rather than have these really high concentrated things. Because if you look at working with coca leaves, for instance, which is also one of the medicine plants here in South America, then making it into cocaine is a bit of an, an evil thing, isn't it, for me mm -hmm. anyway? Um, so it's, it's not, not the natural way, you know? Like people here, they chew the coca leaf and then you can get a certain level of coca connection, but to um, make it into cocaine is another story. And um, ayahuasca, uh, we don't get ayahuasca in that concentrated form, even though when you cook it, you have to really boil it down to get a proper effect. So it, it ends up being boiled down into a bit of a syrup. And we put also um, a little bit of mapacho tobacco, which is a natural tobacco. Um, but when you work just with pure tobacco, which they also have, um, you actually can, uh, there have been accidents with, with pure tobacco. So uh, it's very important with pure tobacco that you vomit because you can have nicotine poisoning. And some people have died from that. Mm. So it's not, it's not a joke, you know. Um, so when we put uh, mapacho in, in ayahuasca, it's just to keep people alert, to give that little zing, to give a bit of alertness. It is not actually to give you a tobacco hit or anything like that. It's just a very small amount that gets put into this huge pot of ayahuasca brew. So um, these things are, are dangerous in the, in the wrong hands, I feel. Most of the na native shamans here in South America, they basically dedicate themselves to one plant. So um, while a lot, some of these retreat centers, they actually put people in a very short time through a whole lot of plants, which they are not necessarily ready for. And um, so that's why it's very important um, to debrief properly and to do your full data. So um, uh, 
it's like people from the West want everything fast, you know, and here everything goes slow because the plants are slow. It's a process. Everything is a process here. So we've got mapacheros. They are the people that work with tobacco. We have wachuneros. Uh, That's the people that work with San Pedro. We have ayahuasqueros. They're people that just work with ayahuasca. We have um, all sorts of different um, people that work with different plants. And that is the curanderos work with other plants. So the curanderos are not ayahuasqueros, um, but sometimes they can be called curanderos because it's something people who heal with plants. So uh, there's, a, there's a whole lot of, um, yeah, and then of course the sapo, the, the, the frog poison that people put on them. Some people swear by it. I've never gone near it. I don't know if it's really that good um, because it gives people a bit of a trauma. Um, it was used by the native people for hunting and to make sure that they could clue into their to their prey and hunt the animal that they were needing to eat. So, um, it, yeah, there's many uh, opinions about it, but I'm a bit really of the of the frog poison as well. Mm. So it's all with it. Go do your homework. That's all I want to say. Do your homework. Have you ever had experiences with UFOs? Yes, yes, but it was more around my twenty years. My years twenty. I also was, was taken at the age of seven a few times. I called them the pirates because they would paralyze me. And then I would come back in my body and then I would be very, very angry. So um, fortunately that didn't go on too much. And then when I was 20, 22, I was in, in Australia. I went to Australia when I was 21 and uh, living with my uh, first husband. And uh, I ended up having uh, a lot of strange experiences there with UFOs. I saw them several times, like they were watching us and they would move around um, on a hillside near about near my house and I could see them in the night. And once my, uh, uh, the whole car was taken, me and my husband, we had missing time of about an hour and a half, something like that. Uh, we went, I was driving, I was driving uh, back from a friend's place where we had had some time, social time, and uh, I was feeling pretty normal. Um, it was dark, it got really misty, and then I ended up um, seeing a landmark that said that I was on a certain road, and then I realized I wasn't on that road, and then um, one and a half hour later, I was coming out of another road, and I thought, how did I get on this road? And it was like I saw a kind of a little person waving us goodbye. Can you tell us a little bit more about that transition from a certain time period to all of a sudden you come back like are you just driving down a road and then you've kind of like in a blink of an eye you're driving in a different direction in a state of confusion or what happens yeah i was really confused and i i couldn't work it out and the time was different like there was quite a difference in time like we, i i was about it was about nine o'clock when i went past my landmark which said that i was on road a which was directly to my house and then uh it was after 10 o'clock when I suddenly accident from road B, where I had not turned into, I was 100% sure I didn't turn into that road, but that's where I turned out. And then I had to kind of double back to go back to my house. At that yeah. moment, are you saying to yourself, you know, what happened? Why am I on the wrong road? Yes. I couldn't work it out. It was really weird. But I had several experiences uh, during that time. And also sometimes we had 
uh, dreams that uh, I had several dreams that I was uh, in a circular vehicle or a circular place looking down and my husband was down on the on the table in the middle and they were doing things to him and then later on I was um, uh, he was making drawings of it too he had also some memories but later on he denied all those memories but he told me that he had at the time he said that he had made seen that and he made a drawing of it and I could see that he had also seen it do you feel like your purpose in life was facilitating ayahuasca, bring the, the souls from the vortex combination or something even different? I think I, I'm here to help with the shift in consciousness. And that is all part of it. Like the Lemurian thing, it had old sorceries. It had old troubles. It was like, it's like when you're driving a car with the handbrake on, you know, it's not working very well. So it was like uh, I had to take the handbrake off the car. And that had to do with um, uh, what happened in Lemuria when they were trapped. It was like a, it was like a bad thing, you know. And it had to be cleared up because it was a sort of a communal trauma. It was a trauma in the consciousness of humanity when these uh, uh, big civilizations came to an end, Lemuria as well as Atlantis. and. Um, that trauma was to be cleaned to, so that people could go forward. Because, um, well, I feel that the Masons or people that like that, I'm not saying they're all bad because I don't think so, but that there was a sort of a culture of doing certain sacrifices for the devil and um, that actually trapped these people into a cycles of reincarnation and of... Um, it was like a sorcery that was put on it for the sake of the devil. The sorcery is very negative. So um, that's what I was ca came to help clear so that people could move forward. And the ayahuasca has the same effect. It actually helps to clear out old traumas. So it's all to do with clearing out old traumas. That's what I would boil it down to. And so I'm actually like the midwife saying, you're doing great, keep going, keep pushing. Do you feel like we're in the ascension? And if so, when do you think it will be, you know, finished? Yeah, it's it's a big process. Like if we think of eons, that like it's a huge clock, you know, that the whole universe is sort of ticking through and, it, and we're going into new levels of consciousness. So it's actually going to change our whole reality. So now um, what is going to happen, we don't really know for sure, even though they say they have all these uh, time travel things and, and the um, project looking glass and all that. And that doesn't sound too good. But I have a really positive feeling about the future. I think that uh, humanity is, is meant to go to the, to the light. We're all meant to um, come to a better place eventually. And sometimes uh, that goes through the path of suffering so that we can make conscious decisions about where we want to put our attention, our focus. Um, and that's up to each one individually. You can't help everyone change their life if they don't really fully change it themselves, no? I think you can remind them, but they have to also do it themselves. So that's why I always feel it's really important that people ask for these things themselves. They go looking for it. You can offer them the information um, and they'll feel attracted to it and then they have to do something about it for themselves. Like, change their uh, attitude, stop saying to themselves the whole time that they don't serve for any good or that they not never can succeed or something like that, you know. So these are 
these are sorceries that we have to break free from. Now, you wrote up your Lemurian experience in a book, right? Yes. And what's the title of it? It's called Lemurian Vortex. I'll show you the book again. Yeah. Lemurian Vortex. And if people want to find out more about it, do they see it on Amazon? Uh, it is on Amazon. It's in two parts because I really struggled with the uh, logistics of putting it online. Um, I, I only learned about computers when I was 45. So it's, I'm still, you know, struggling with that. But I managed to do that uh, in two parts. It's not a very big book. Um, and you really have to get the second part to hear what is going to result that they all get set free. And then otherwise, uh, I'm on Facebook uh, under my name, normal name. And uh, I have uh, people can contact me via Messenger. Um, that I think is a, is a good way, don't you think? Yes, I agree. Well, before we finish up, can you give us one last positive message? I think that this, uh, this world is all part of imagination. So it's up to us to imagine good things. Um, and to have faith in good things and not be afraid of bad things happening. Because it's like uh, when you have fear, it's like my fear, worst fears became real, you know, and that's because we stick our mind on these fears and we go over it and over it, and that's how we manifest it. So it's up to us now, especially at this time where the world is now, it may look dark, but it's up to us very much to um, remember imagining good things happening and, and be very grateful for the friendships we do have and honor the friendships we do have and be grateful for the food we do, do have, even if it's not maybe, you know, caviar every day, it, just to be grateful for the little things because all those little things add up to uh, a wonderful feeling of gratitude and happiness in your life. Claire, thank you for that message and thank you for being my guest. Thank you, Jeff. God bless. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.